Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, a kid lit podcast for parents, teachers, and writers. I'm Heather Kaufman Peters. I'm the mother of one teenage boy. I'm a preschool teacher and a writer. And I'm Margie Ozimet. I'm the mom to two boys, former middle school teacher who is now a homeschooler and writer. Can I just tell you I love homeschooling? P.S. I want to add that on at the end, but go on. Welcome to the 11th episode of Two Lit Mamas. We've got a couple dystopian tales in which plants take over the world. Because it's 2020. <laughs> and it's totally possible. <laughs> totally appropriate for this year. So you might want to charge up your weed whacker before we start. <laughs> no, go ahead. We'll do it. Just go ahead. Plug it in. We'll wait. Wait. Go ahead. You're going to need it. Seriously. If you read these books, you're going to need it. You're going to feel like mowing your yard immediately if you still have yard after all of this mess. <laughs> yes. While you're starting your lawnmowers, uh, Margie, what have you been doing? Lately? Okay, so I have a tragedy happening, right? Oh, no, what? So a couple weeks ago, I tore my meniscus again. Again? So I have been like all laid up and I couldn't walk for about a week. Now I can walk pretty good. I still have a hard time with stairs and whatever. But because um, I've decided in my crunchy hippie ways that after this would be my second time and this would be my second uh, meniscus repair in the last few years. So I didn't want to have surgery again. So I'm trying to do all these like crunchy hippie things to make it heal on its own because it can theoretically. And um, it's not going well. But can I tell you, I think the best part about the story is not the fact that I am old and have the knees of like a 95 year old. Would you like to know how I tore my, my meniscus? I'm sure it had something to do with your youngest, but go no, ahead. No, no. <laughs> so, you know, I go for my walks all the time. I did past yes. tense at this point. I'm not, but um, I go for my walks in the cemetery all the time or in the neighborhood or whatever. And I was out there and I was walking and I'm walking and I'm walking and I'm on like mile two and I'm rounding it out. And my God, it was hot. But, you know, I was like, all of a sudden I see like my, one of my neighbors, like kind of glaring at me and I'm like, well, what did I do to make her mad? Like, what's going on? I'm like, I'm just a chunky lady in the cemetery. What's the problem? And she keeps like, looks like she's pointing at me, but I'm like, okay, whatever. Mind you, I'm on my podcast, uh, you know, my podcast on, I'm solving murders, you know, cold cases are blowing through my headphones. I am knee deep in this cold case. So I'm not really paying any attention to what's happening. My neighbor, other neighbor then calls and she's like, I pick up the phone. I'm like, Hey, I'm right behind your house near the woods. She's like, yes, run. And I'm like, what? She's like, I see you. I'm on my deck. Run. You have to run. There's a rabid coyote behind you. And I'm like, hubba, what? No. <laughs> goes, There's a coyote behind you. And I'm like, but I'm solving a murder. I can't do that now. <laughs> so it was just following you? Well, apparently it was going into the woods behind me. And it came out and it was like the middle of the day. That's why we all, that's why they thought it was rabid. And it came out of the woods by my other neighbor's house. And she's like flagging. She's like flagging me down. She's like, I'm like, Margo, Margo, get out of there. But you didn't listen. And I'm like, well, one, I was solving a murder with my headphones. And two, my name's not Margo, but God bless you. <laughs> Thanks for trying to save me. Margo, get out of there. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's what happened. So I took off running and I'm chunky, as we all know, and um, I'm almost 50 and chunky. And that's a really bad combination, even if you are running to save your life. So you tore your meniscus running from a coyote. Exactly. <laughs> you know what? That belongs on a Facebook group somewhere because oh around here, God. like there's coyote sightings all the time and people lose their minds. They're like, bring in your cats, bring in your dogs. How about bringing your middle-aged mother out of the cemetery? Margo, get out of there. 
anyway, I'm icing. <laughs> I'm elevating. I'm taking collagen, everything. Because, you know, I can't. Like, I went to the doctor and he was like, I'm sorry, yeah. can you repeat that again? <laughs> how, how did you do this? <laughs> I was like, shut up. <laughs> that was when I was like, you know what? I'm going to fix this on my own. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so it's been great. Anyway, how are your knees? Let's talk about your knees. <laughs> Actually, my knees are fine, but I also have a walking tragedy. <laughs> what happened? So last week, just to get away for a little bit, we rented a house out in Brown County, which is south of Indianapolis. And my lovely husband knows how I love to go for walks. So he rented this house that was on like 100 acres. Oh, wow. And it had like a three-mile walking trail. And my husband warns me about this all the time because I have a little frou-frou mini labradoodle, Mm -hmm. right, named Joy. And I treat her like she's a farm dog and she's not. Mm -hmm. And I always get her into bad situations. But anyway, so the first day we went on a walk and the trail, the last part of the trail wasn't marked very well. And we ended up in some serious burrs and they were like the tiny kind. Oh, and her little hair, poor thing. Yeah. So she looked like she had calyx all over her because where there was like huge bunches of those little tiny thistles, they were making her hair like so funny. So I spent, we spent that night getting all of the burrs out of her. And then two days later, I'm like, oh, well, we'll just stay out of that area and we won't get any of the thistles or anything like that or burrs. And so then we went on a different part of the of the trail. And my son and my dog ended up with mites all over them. <gasps> oh my God. If I was your son, I'm killing you right now. I'm killing you in your <laughs> Especially sleep. Especially because oh. he did not want to go. He did not want to go on a hike. Of, of course, course not because it. he's of that age. <laughs> So um, he took a shower really fast and it just so happened it was time for the dog to have her tick and flea pill. And so I gave her her pill and that night all the bugs fell out (gasps) in our... (laughs) Oh God, God, you need to stay inside. Find yourself a cemetery where things are safe. Ish. (laughs) We didn't see any coyotes, but that was so that was good. But yeah, so my husband was not happy with me, but... Anyway, so my poor puppy probably will need a vet visit uh, tomorrow. So <laughs> we'll see. Oh, my God. Well, see, that's what happens when you try to get away. It's irrelevant. You I know, right? It. It There's no matter. escaping 2020. No, it follows you everywhere <laughs> like a rabid coyote. <laughs> just looking at your heels and you're just a fat girl trying to run away. <laughs> um, I feel like on that note, we should probably get started. <laughs> I mean, these were like the perfect starters for this because clearly nature's out to get us just like in these books. All right. So if your weed rackers are ready, shall we get started? All right. Today we're we're talking about two riffs on a similar theme. Killer plant, little shop, little shop of horrors. (laughs) All I think of. We're, uh, We're talking about Bloom by Kenneth Opal and Forgotten City by Michael Ford. And later on, we'll give you pick six, our top classic sci-fi book. So let's get started. Okay, so let's start with Killer Plants in Canada, shall we? Yeah, sounds good. So I was like dying to read this book. I'm a plant nerd. I'm a major plant nerd, science teacher. Everything about that makes me love plants. The first one we're talking about is Bloom, and that's by Kenneth Opal. And I thought this book was going to be like blow my socks off because the thought of like an invasive species taking over the earth, fascinating, terrifying, yet fascinating. And this is 
what they consider eco-horror, which is like a new genre, which I think is brilliant. And also, not brilliant, but terrifying. Okay. Um, <laughs> because again, sometimes when you live in the woods, things come out of the woods that are terrifying. So, and this is book number one, and it's called The Overthrow, Bloom the Overthrow. And it's the first of three. And the next one will be coming out in, I believe it is December, 12, one of 20. And it is uh, called Hatch. And the third one is called Thrive. And it is slated right now to come out in summer of 21. So it's definitely a continuing story to the point where you kind of feel unfinished when you're done with it. Because you're like, oh, okay, which, you know, it's good and bad. So basically, this one came out just this year in 2020, like he was predicting it or something. I don't know. But um, an alien plant arrives on this isolated Canadian island, and then slowly it starts to pop up worldwide. So these like mysterious, thick, black, thorny vines suddenly like start sprouting up. And they're like, they, they're black and they kind of look like barbed wire. It's sort of the way they describe them. It seems like overnight they sort of sprout up and then they morph into three versions of themselves. The first is the the sort of barbed wire version. Then there's this sort of carnivorous pit plants, which is very Venus flytrap. And they have acid and they they have a mouth that opens and they, you know, digest it by the acid within the sac. Um, I'm not going to get all teacher nerd. I was going there. You saw? See it? I was literally explaining to you how they... Did I rein you back in? I know, right? I'm like, okay, it's not seventh grade science. Uh, (laughs) And then the third was, (laughs) which is actually my favorite, which is a form of lily pads that shoot acid balls like a machine gun. (laughs) 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 So yeah, that was a cool one. That was nice. So there's three teens that basically kind of center around this. Um, Seth, who's a sweet kid who's been bouncing through the foster care system, he knows that there's something different about him. And he's got all these scars up and down his arms to prove it, but he can't really explain what happened. Um, Petra, who, she has this like weird rain allergy or water allergy. And I think that's so interesting. I know, right? So she's allergic to water. But when the rain came that brought these plants, suddenly she wasn't allergic to the rain that was bringing the seeds. Um, and her parents, like her dad's a doctor and her mom's like, a constable or whatever the sheriff one of the sheriffs is in the in the, on the island and then there's Anaya who's kind of like the star of the show her dad's the biologist who's trying to save them but he's trying to figure out more about the species and then her mom is a pilot which p.s can we just like take a moment and say thank you for writing some badass moms yeah her mom is a pilot and on one of her daily treks she sees something that she thinks is going to lead to the end of this. And if she can get her husband to that spot, then he can maybe find a, find kind of like an antidote for the, for these. So that's basically it. And then as the things move on, of course, they start to take over. The plants are taking over the entire Island. They're taking over the entire world. They're threatening the food supply. You can't burn them because they give off uh, toxic gases. You can't cut them because they're too sharp. And you know, it's just this like one thing after another. And then pretty soon, these kids, these three kids realize that they have a very strong connection to these plants and they are immune to whatever the plants do, the pollen and everything else. So that's all I'm going to say. But anyway, (laughs) that's basically a a summary. This book was so freaking high octane that I was like, oh my God, stop. It's too much. It was too much for me. I mean, I'm old. I am not a 14 year old or a 12 year old or a 10-year-old who would be reading this book. But it's just like, you're. it was just like an adrenaline ride and not in a good way. Like sometimes I feel like, okay, can we stop getting eaten by plants and hear something else? Can something else happen? <laughs> you know? I mean, what did you think? Poor Mr. Opal. I, I feel like he didn't really get the uh, girl characters. Like he just kind of made them overly dramatic. They're so flat. It's so, oh, well, because you're pretty. 
they have arguments about who's pretty. And they were competitive against each other. And I'm not going to be your friend because you're pretty and I'm not pretty. That, like, I did not set well with me. I was like, girl, come on. That kind of stuff was sort of hard for me to tell. I just felt like, okay, he didn't really get girls. He did, like, a very shallow. That's a big complaint that most people that read the book and reviewed it said, that the characters were very shallow and and very, like, uh, stereotypical. Yeah. And, like, you were saying, like, the boy is very sweet. And I probably felt more connected to him to, than the other characters, mostly because of that. Because, like, he felt like a real person where the other people didn't necessarily feel like real people. But I will say, I thought it was interesting because it's very close to our world right now. Yeah, that's what somebody wrote a, a thing about. Like, Matt, maybe too soon. Might not be the time for this book. Yeah, it might be kind of hard right now. Well, the poor guy couldn't have predicted the pandemic. But yeah, so I thought that was kind of interesting. But I also felt like it kind of went out of its way to show how close it was to our current world where it kind of got bogged down in like, oh, what they're eating and what's happening at school. And I felt like, okay, none of this really has anything to do with the story. Yeah, especially at the beginning. That slowed me down a lot at the beginning. Yeah, but once it got going, I, I mean, I really got into it with the girl with her water allergy. That's where I really started to be like, ooh, okay, this is different. This is really cool. A water allergy is fascinating. I always think it's interesting to think about allergies anyway, just because it's like, if we all evolved on this planet, like, why are we allergic to things? Well, now you just gave it away. Why these they aren't allergic to it when everyone else is. Dun, dun, dun. Well, and I also like that idea too. I thought that was an interesting play on the story where they had these horrible allergies that were keeping them separate from the world. And then all of a sudden it flipped. Yeah. And everybody else was horribly allergic and they weren't. And I thought that was really kind of a cool play on it. So then everybody else is suffering, but they're not. What did you think about the world building? Um, well, like I said, because it was so close to our current world, there was something about that that didn't feel quite like it was so heavy-handed, I guess. Yeah. But I did like the black grass. I thought that was really fascinating, you know, how yeah. it just kind of spread and took over because that they talk about that a lot with how we genetically modify plants, that if it's, there's nothing in nature to combat it. And so if it gets out. Well, and even like non-modified plants as well. Yeah. Like the invasive species of fish and, and, you know, like especially invasive grasses and stuff like that, they could kill the food supply, right? which is why it's a really interesting concept. Well, and we have like an invasive vine that's been growing everywhere. That's really bad too. It's like killing trees and that could lead to all sorts of problems too. I do think that is an interesting thing to explore. But I just, I don't know why. I kind of wish it was either set in a different time for some reason. But that's just me because I like things set in different time periods. So Yeah. Well, I think that would have been hard too, though, because the technology was really important. But I felt on that note that the timeline was way off. I mean, literally the grass popped up and we had solutions like within five days. I mean, for God's sakes, we can't even figure out how to wear a mask for like six months, for God's sakes. I mean, like, let's talk about, we have, a, I mean, yes. Okay. I'll give it to you. The Canada might be a little more on the ball than other countries, but ain't nobody fixing the problem, evacuating the island and solving the problem in a few days. It just, like, it's crazy. You know, it's too well, much. Well, I suppose it was kind of convenient because it was set on an island to begin with. To begin with. Yeah. And then it wiped out most of Canada by like by halfway through the book. You're like, oh, well, they went Canada. Good to know you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Canada. But your response was quick. Your response was swift. Thank you. And the, the, the thing that I loved is that like the military just keeps shooting at the vines. Like, like that's gonna like that's so typical and it's so fitting. I thought it was like so appropriate. I'm like, yeah, well, we're just gonna shoot at them. And they're like, but it doesn't do any good. <laughs> but that's what we do. We shoot at things because we're the army. I mean, that kind of happens a lot in the Forgotten City book too. The second book we're going to talk about yeah. where they just kind of shoot at things as their solution. And there was one character who I liked because he didn't shoot at things. He tried to tame 
things. And I thought that was really cool. So I know we're not talking about that right now, but there are a lot of similarities between these two books. Oh my God, totally. I feel like the one biggest thing about Bloom that I have to say is that it doesn't fit any categories. And that's not a good thing. The characters are too old to be middle grade. They're teenagers. It doesn't have any of the other tropes for it to be young adult. It just doesn't fit. I would have loved it if those characters wouldn't have been teenagers, but if they would have been 12, it would have worked so much better. If there wasn't any reason that they couldn't have been, like the one girl was like, oh, you're cute. Well, that happens in 12-year-olds too. I mean, that's pretty much it. There's no sort of underlying love story or anything or no violence besides the machine gun lily pads. There's not, you know, the violence that would make you be like, oh, this is not appropriate for a middle grader. No, it's just weird that the characters are too old. That was, you know, that was kind of my thing. I mean, that is a big thing about middle grade is the, even your friend Johnny was talking about that with middle grade. The only thing is the age has to be in that range. Right. Because you want to see yourself. You want to see yourself being the hero that saves the day, you know, like as a kid. I'm all about having like, although, I mean, we read Granted and that's about a fairy who's really an adult, but it's a fairy. It's a fairy. So, I mean, there are, you can break the rules, but, and also kids who were in it were middle graders. But yeah, I do think you can break the rules where you can have like maybe an age range. If there's a reason to. Yeah. If there, it yeah makes there was sense. no reason here. It doesn't make any sense to break the rule. It doesn't fit for me, I don't think. Especially, which is a great segue, because especially if you look at the other book, Forgotten City by Michael Ford, it does have middle graders. And it's a very similar kind of idea. And they do save the day, even though they're 12. Right. Anyway, you want to give us an intro? Okay. The next book is Forgotten City by Michael Ford. And this is a post-apocalyptic story set in Seattle shortly after a deadly plant growth chemical, which was created to solve future food problem production problems, and it was called waste, spreads ac- across the planet, causing plants and wild animals to grow rapidly and mutate. The infection spread and killed many humans also because they couldn't live with the waste in their system. Like the waste was sort of like like uh, radiation. Don't you kind of get that just just to kind of help clear that up? Kind of like Spider-Man type of radiation in yeah. a way. Yeah, because it caused the plants to mutate and become aggressive. So anyways, our main character is Kobe. He's a middle grader who thought he and his dad were the only human survivors in this world. They've been surviving in a school at the edge of the overgrown Seattle. His dad leaves to visit his lab to make more medicine for himself because his dad is infected with the waste. And so he has to make medicine for himself to keep himself alive. He's a scientist, we know. And he's raised um, Kobe in the school where they are safe and protected from the spores getting in. But his dad has to leave to go to his lab. And he didn't. when he didn't return, Kobe has to leave this safe space to go and find him because he's worried about him because he knew he was kind of weak when he left. And after he leaves, Kobe learns the veil of plants wasn't the only veil he was living behind (laughs) i gotta tell you i didn't see that coming and i thought that was a good little perk to it i didn't see that coming at all i felt like the story was kind of like a cross between girl who and a city by ot nelson which is one of my son's very favorite books and the fifth wave by yancey a little bit because it kind of has like this futuristic feel to it but yet we know like seattle is pretty much like it is right now when they go out exploring so this happened shortly before before Kobe was born. And so it's just been within his lifetime that the planet has become this way 
wasteland. I also love how this stuff got spread through a really horrible PR stunt because that sounds just about right. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) They thought they could do this cool PR stunt and make a park spring up overnight. And so they covered the area with this product and it basically took over the whole city and destroyed everything. Killed everyone. Yeah. But hey, look great. (laughs) (laughs) With this story, I felt like the world building and the action were really intense and pretty on point. And the world building was really vivid. So much more vivid than in the other one. I could really picture it in my head. Yeah, I agree. And I like this vision of the city being overgrown with greenery everywhere. And some of it could be aggressive and some of it wasn't. And you weren't, you just had to always kind of keep an eye out. I liked that a lot. I would have liked to have had a little more character development though. I feel like it was a little bit like the other book because, okay, so you know me, I cry at like anything. Right. Like a sappy commercial comes on TV and I will tear up. Well, there's one part, not to give away any spoilers, towards the end of the book where I should have been bawling, but I, w- I like my eyes got a little watery and I was like, oh, that's weird. I'm not crying. Well, I feel like it's because I wasn't as connected to the characters as I should have been. Because there wasn't a lot of character building earlier in the book. It all comes at the end. You're like, too late. Yeah, I agree. Even when I wanted to be sad and I knew I should be, but it wasn't just, it wasn't affecting me. And it's because you don't really get that deeper character development at the beginning. Yeah. You get a ton of action. And so I was thinking about this though, because I thought if you have a reader who loves like action and some light gore, but doesn't like the sappy stuff. I mean, they would really like, they would get into it. Yeah. They would get into it because that's what it's about. It's more about that. So, I mean, I think it was good though. I, I liked it better than bloom. Oh, for sure. I think that it was just a a more well-rounded, interesting book. And I think that the fact that in addition to Kobe, he meets some other kids along the way that kind of gives it a, a sort of a team feeling. Yes, it does have a team feel, but they're also not a team. Right. You know, but nobody knows that. And sort of his innocence is what gets him again and again and again. And I felt like that was a nice part of developing that main character that didn't happen in the other book. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, even though he's like, he's very smart beyond his years in many, many ways, he's also very, very not smart when it comes to, because he's never had any people. Right. No people around him. I like the parts where he would feel weird when people touched him. Yes. And I was like, ooh, that's so good because that's true. If you were just you and one other person your whole life. Somebody had said in a review, they said, this is great for kids that are too young to read like Maze Runner yes, or some of those bigger dystopian ones. It was like, it's a better one for kids, littler kids to read. So if you you aren't quite ready to make the jump or you're not old enough to make the jump into some of those classic like Maze Runner type of books, this is a great one. And I feel like that's right on the money. Yeah. I was torn between saying it's lower or upper middle grade because there's nothing about the story that doesn't make it okay for lower middle grade. But it is a little bit gory. There's a lot of blood. <laughs> oh, I guess there is. I Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of acronyms and stuff like that that would throw off a struggling reader that I feel like a younger reader might, you know. But there's zero romance. The action is nonstop. I don't know. I guess it gives you more breaks than the other book. But I don't know. I think it's kind of right in the middle. I wouldn't give it to a younger kid just because of, like you said, of the gore and some of the wording and stuff I think is tough to catch. I just think like some of the vocabulary is a little more complex. But I think that's good. Personally, 
I want you to have a challenge. I want you to be able to be like, I don't know what this word means. And now go look it up. Well, and I kind of like there was one part where he was in a hospital and there were words he'd never heard of before because he'd never been in a hospital. And I thought that was kind of cool because he kind of calls it out. He's like, oh, my dad would probably know what those words are, but I don't. And I thought that's kind of a nice way to handle those kind of things because it makes it seem okay if a kid doesn't understand a word or what it means. The character also is in that situation. I have to give the big spoiler away though. One of the things that mutated besides the rats, which is like rats that grew into the size of cats, were the six foot wolves. The wolves mutated and that like creeped me beyond creep. The six foot tall wolves, like maybe it's because I have like post-traumatic coyote syndrome. I don't know. Maybe that's it. But that one I was like, okay, that's too scary. (laughs) That like of the things that mutated, I was like, ooh. Well, I felt like the scene with the rats was the most intense though, I have to say. Can you imagine rats the size of cats? No, no. See, that's the kind of world building that I feel like the other book really lacked something whatever would fall into the acid sack of the plant and it would be dark and that would be it and they would smell a burning smell and I'm like no 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 like I'm not getting a visual you need screaming I want to feel this I need to see this like when those giant wolves were behind him oh my gosh they were so vivid that I was like yeah no not a fan not a fan of that one that's why I don't like dogs no offense joy (laughs) poor joy because they can morph into it but I I liked this book I liked it too. It was stronger than the other book by a long shot. The only thing I can't find it. I don't know if you did either. I did some Googling and I couldn't find out if there is more to come. Yes. Yes. Okay. So this book came out in 2018 and the second book, Lost Horizon, is actually out already. Is it the sequel? Yes, it is the sequel. And in fact, in the the copy of the book that I had of Forgotten City, at the back, there's the first chapter to the next book. Oh, see, I must have an early release because it doesn't even mention anywhere that there's another one coming. It's called Lost Lost Horizon is the second book. And he's a British writer. You know what? That's so funny that you say that because I didn't even bother to look him up. There were so many sentences. I was like, wow, that sounds really British. But it was like he was trying not to sound too British. (laughs) But I thought he had a great handle on like Americana in all our glory. (laughs) For sure. But anyway, I really enjoyed that book. I thought it was fun. Yeah. So I do kind of want to read the second one because it does leave you wanting to read the second one. Yeah, the other one doesn't though. I don't really care about the eggs that fell to earth, which we all know because it's called Hatch. Book number two is called Hatch. So we know that they're going, some egg form is coming. There are three books, right? For that one. Yeah, Bloom, Hatch, and Thrive. Hatch comes out December 1st and Thrive comes out next summer. This just came out in February. So it's it's a brand new one. Didn't have great reviews. Not not a hit. Not a lot of love. Didn't get a lot of love on the online. Uh, Forgotten City had it had like a lot of four out of five. Yeah, it had mixed love. And mostly it was because of the character development. But like I said, if you have a reader who likes action, they won't even care. They won't care about that part of it. The author does try to sh- make connections. I kind of felt like I got a little bit more of the supporting characters than the main character, didn't you? Yeah, I agree. I feel like I knew a little, I knew them better than I knew the main character. Yeah. But maybe that's intentional. Yes, that's true. I don't want to give any spoilers, so I won't say more. But yes, I definitely would recommend Forgotten City, especially if you like... I feel like at this point we need to mention Haddocks because we haven't mentioned her at all. Oh my God, I know, right? It's so in that genre. It is right in her genre. Yeah, like the always war is kind of like that too. But I feel like in that same vein of like she empowers her young, very young main characters to do great things. Right. That's exactly what happened in Forgotten City. These are very young main characters who did, because the youngest, the one supporting character, what is he, seven or eight? 
Yeah. The one who's really this, like the bravest of all is the, the one little, little guy. Right. I love that. As a middle grade reader, that's what I want. I want to see some seventh grader or some seven-year-old and a seventh grader or whatever that can just take on the world and save the day just because they have these amazing abilities to sort of make it happen. Right. The adults are sort of like the supporting characters in that book. Or the enemy. Dun, dun, dun. And you don't know who to trust in the adults always, which is fun. I love that. Yeah. It's a good middle grade trope. You know, that's the other thing you were talking about. The other, the Bloom book didn't have a lot of tropes. I mean, I don't know if we've talked about that before, but it's like, I think people think that a trope is a bad thing, but if you're writing in a genre, you need to include some of the tropes that people expect to read because that's how they know if they love the genre, that's how they know they're reading the genre. And you might think you're being smart and sophisticated and you need, but you're not, you're just going to just made a terrible flaw. (laughs) You, You literally did. It's like, it's like writing a romance and then not having like a super hot beefy hunk. Yeah. Right. You can't, nobody wants that. I don't, want to see the nerdy guy with like acne all over and everything <laughs> save the day. No one wants that. It may be in real life, but I'm not going to pick up a harlequin for that, you know? Right. I'm just saying. Same like this. I want to see a young kid save the day. Yes. I want to see the adults be the ones that can't get it right. They're flustered and can't fix it. Yeah, for sure. That's the whole point of being in middle school. <laughs> I know because everything's horrendous. I also think in middle school is when you also start to realize that adults have faults too. And it's sort of jarring to you because up to that point, you know, they've always been right. And I think and in Forgotten City, they even kind of say that head on because he thought his dad had always been right. And so that was sort of something he was struggling with. Somebody shook that belief. Yeah. That's the other part of being in middle school is getting your beliefs shaken. Yeah, that's true. Not stirred. (laughs) Shaken, not stirred. All right. We're going to take a short break and come back with our little segment called Pick Six. Pick Six. This time we're going to talk about our six favorite classic sci-fi books. Since we've had man-eating plants, I feel like it's appropriate, right? Yeah, I like it. I knew you would, you (laughs) sci-fi nerd. I was like, she wouldn't even have to think about this one. <laughs> well, it's so funny because I didn't even really look at it until later in the this morning. And I was like, oh, okay, that's easy. I can do that. That's what I figured. <laughs> yeah, that'll be nothing. All right. So what have you got for classic sci-fi greats? What are some of your favorite classics? Okay, well... Uh, this is crazy because I um, have just, <laughs> we, my youngest and I just have been reading these classics, right? We're re- and we just finished, we were doing a unit on marine biology with my older one and we were studying all, you know, cause we live on the ocean. We we're doing all these things. So we decided that we would read 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea by Jules Verne because I never read that. I don't remember ever reading that as a kid. And of course, my husband, who freaking grew up in Turkey, is like, how did you never read this? And I'm like, (laughs) how did you? Really? (laughs) I was like, oh, yeah, we read it in Turkish. And I'm like, oh, all right. So we read a version of it that's like a kid's version. And my son loved it. He literally thinks he's Captain Nemo. I mean, it's been so Wait, awesome. this is your younger son, right? A younger one, the seven-year-old. So there's yeah. a kid's version of the book? I didn't know there that. There are these things called classic starts, and I just found them for him, and he's like over the moon. So we read the book, and then we on Disney Plus, you can see the like the 1965 version, which is fantastic. So then we even watched that and he loved it. So that one is a great one. I have to say, I give my shout out to that one. And my older son is reading it like the real version of it. That's cool. So that's my first, my second pick would definitely be Brave New World by, um, 
I said a lotus, a lotus is how you say his name, Huxley, Alitus, a lotus, Alitus. I don't know. I'm Margo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Margo, Margo, get out of there. <laughs> my name. But uh, I love that. I had to read that in college because we were studying biomedical ethics and that shaped my life. I was like, that was the first time I'd ever really read real sci-fi that had blown me away. And I love that book. I have read it a couple of times since. I just think it's one of the most fascinatingly disturbing things around. So (laughs) I love it. That's cool. All right. What do you got? Give me a couple. Well, I'm going to go with, okay. So you picked 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Well, I picked The Time Machine by H.G. Wells. I love that story. I always pick that one. I have to say, if you read sci-fi, you have to be a little bit of a fan of Victorian era sci-fi. I just think it's so fun. And I love this book. And also there are, there is a bad old movie, probably set around the 60s also. I don't know. But I love the movie. It's so great. I love those movies because your kids can watch it. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they're not like, there's no nudity. There's no boobies. There's no nothing you have to worry about. It's great. And I think that the movie did a pretty good job of keeping close to the story because the story is not very long. So it's pretty good. So yeah, I just love that one. I love the idea of building a machine and disappearing into it. Especially now. You know me. I love time travel. Yeah, especially now. Just bypass 2020 if you're traveling. (laughs) So anyway, that book came out in 1895. Can you believe that? Is that that? really how old it is? Yeah. Wow. Because it came out after Frankenstein, which was the very first science fiction book, which we have to call out since it was written by a woman. I thought 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea was the first one. No, Frankenstein is considered the first science fiction because it combined medical science with horror. I did a course on science fiction, a college course, and she's pretty much credited with being the first uh, science fiction author. Of course it is. Sisters are doing it for themselves, girl. I know, right? How did they get shoved out of the genre? I don't know, but they're starting to make a huge comeback. So that's good. Um, And then my second book, I would say, is Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. I almost picked that one, too. I love that story. That one, like, I was emotionally scarred by that one, though. Really? When I was a kid. Why? It was was sad. It was sad. I guess it is sad, but it's, I don't know. I think it's a pretty cool story. It's a Newbery winner. It came out in 71, so it's a year younger than I am. It's a year older than me, so that's good. <laughs> I was a baby. But it kind of combines like animal fantasy, which is so fun with science fiction. And I, it made me think about like other things that, because that's kind of what science fiction is like. I mean, there is true science fiction stories, but um, I feel like that's sort of the new thing is to mash it, like fairy tales and science fiction, like the Cinder series and all that. I don't know. I just feel like that's kind of a new thing now, the mashup of with science fiction and something else, which is cool. Yeah, it is because, you know, like it, it opens up the interest level to more people right because i think a lot of people get turned off by sci-fi because they're like oh it's too hard to get it all straight or whatever right if the world building is intense that can be overwhelming to people who aren't into the genre yeah okay what's your last one my last one is i I guess it's hard to say it's a classic but it is from 2005 so that's like 15 years does that make a classic in cars it would um the uglies by scott westerfield there's that's the three series I have never read those. You would love them. They're so good. And the girls that I used to teach with in Indianapolis, they were the ones who told me I needed to read it and get hooked on it because, of course, they'd read them when they were in middle school. Hello. 
that hurt. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So what are they about? They're basically like two separate, I guess not, not races, but you, you're born ugly. And when you get a certain age, you'll get made into one of the beautiful people and the lives of the beautiful people are perfect and wonderful. And they live in a whole nother world. And once you've had your plastic surgery to be made a beautiful person, then you're you're not allowed to associate with the uglies anymore. And it's funny because it's kind of like that. Do you remember that really old Twilight Zone with the pig face people? Yes. I'd always think of that. It's like, it's very much like that. So they're good. I really like them. I think they're really cool. And they're they're very Twilight zone So what's your last one? My last one is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh my God, I almost picked that one too. (laughs) I love that book so much. It's so fun to read. I didn't read it until I was in my late 20s, but um, it just cracked me up. Like it's one of those that just entertains you as you go along. It's so funny and it's so like snarky and sarcastic and silly. It's a British author again. So uh, Douglas Adams. I always wanted a babblefish. Yes. Like when I lived in Turkey, I'm like, oh my God, if I could just, if only the babblefish was real. Like, oh my God. And I honestly think the rule to always have a towel with you is like a really smart rule. How often do you need a towel? I just always like that too. But, um, you know, I definitely think that kids could read that book because there's really nothing in it. For sure. So I looked up on Common Sense and they said it's good for 12 years and up. And I totally agree. And I also think you could probably read it to a little bit like a 10 year old would if you read it to them. Yeah. It's kind of a dense and it's a big book. So it might be intimidating to them, but it would be a fun book to read out loud. Yeah. And there is a movie to go with it too, which is pretty cute. We just were watching one a few weeks ago. There was a uh, a BBC version one from the 80s. The kids and I were watching it. So yeah, exactly. That's the one. Yeah. I mean, that book really talks about like materialism and bureaucracy and what's really important. And yeah. And who doesn't love Arthur Dent? I mean, come on, sweetest little man who gets scared off. I think it's a fabulous book. But you know, I'm looking at all of them, even The Uglies, which is actually a YA book. um, I would say every one of them would be great. I think Brave New World would be hard to understand parts of it. But if you had an eighth grader, I think they could handle it. Um, So yeah, I don't think there's anything that would be beyond attainable. Yeah, the time machine's a pretty easy read. And then the Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim is, of course, that's made for that age group. I think my mom read that to us when we were little. So I guess that does it for this episode. Just a reminder, you can find full transcripts of each podcast. Ding, ding, ding. That's new. So exciting. As well as ideas for using the books we've mentioned here and many others with your family on our website, twolitmamas.com. T-W-O-L-I-T-M-A-M-A-S.com. So what's up for our next episode, Margie? So for our next episode, we're going to do, uh, it's like a two-parter. So the, we're going to give you our best. You remember when Oprah used to do my favorite things? And there are all <laughs> these great things that she'd give away for Christmas, but no one could really afford them but Oprah. Well, we're not doing that. And we're not giving away cars or anything like that. <laughs> but what we are going to do is give you some really great recommendations for uh, holiday gifts. So the holidays, believe it or not, I can't even believe we actually are still alive and we've made it this far. We're on- Almost to the end of this year. Um, so we have made it this far and it's time to, um, I feel like every child deserves to get books for the holidays. So we're going to give you some ideas. Oh my gosh. That's like the Icelandic holiday where everyone gets a book on Christmas Eve and then they stay up reading their book and eating chocolate and, and have candles lit. I think that's got to be the best holiday huh, in the world. I thought I was Irish, but apparently I'm Icelandic. <laughs> I do the same thing. <laughs> I know. It's the best. I think that holiday should spread across the world anyway. And I can't think of what they call it. It's probably just like book holiday or something like that. But, but anyway. Interesting. So we're going to give you some great recommendations. So our first 
it's a two-parter. So the part one is going to give you recommendations for uh, picture books and chapter books. So, so we're going to cover the littler guys. And then the second part will give you some recommendations for um, uh, lower middle grade and upper middle grade. That's so fun. I can't wait. I'm really excited to dig into picture books because, you know, that's my jam. So And chapter books is like our new thing. My little guy is reading chapter books right now. And so we're just kind of and trying to find some that aren't um, something that his brother read. <laughs> like, I mean, I have all these chapter books from his older brother, but none of those are interesting because simply because his brother read them. Well, they got to be their own people. <laughs> they do. And it was funny because I feel like well, we can talk about it so much then, but there's a new surge. I see a, there's a lot of new chapter books out. And that wasn't the case five years ago when his brother was reading. It was say the same old, same old. So Ooh, fun. So that'll be good to talk about. That'll be fun. So we'll, yeah, we'll be talking about newer books too, right? So I can't go back to 1895 or whatever. You can't. We're going to make sure you can easily get them. (laughs) And if you want a good tale about book shopping, uh, go on up and check out the blog. My sons and I went on a book shopping adventure at an unlikely story bookstore in Massachusetts. Just loves to rub that in. Right? I know. It's uh, Jeff Kinney is founder of that bookstore who is the wimpy kid. So go check us out on our blog. Thank you for listening to Tulip Mamas. We really appreciate your support. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website site at www.twolitmamas.com, T-W-O-L-I-T-M-A-M-A-S.com, where you can sign up to follow our blog that Margie just mentioned. And we're also on Facebook under Two Lit Mamas and on Instagram under Two Lit Mamas Podcast. They bring some cool stuff on there. We got some really cool stuff on there. We're, we're, we're on the edge. We're something. We're on the edge of something. <laughs> I don't know if we're cutting edge or we're on the edge. I meant to say we're cutting edge, but we're more like on the edge because that's more appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> on the edge of a breakdown. <laughs> the time for wine yet? <laughs> I think it is. And if you'd like to support us, you can also leave reviews for us wherever you get your podcasts because that will help other people find us. But not if you're going to leave one-star reviews. <laughs> <laughs> no, only leave five-star reviews. We'll take four. It's fine. We'll still leave one. That would be so rude. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening. Have a great one. Bye. Bye.